Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was April 4th, 1967. Civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered a speech at Riverside Church in New York City, denouncing the Vietnam War in front of 3,000 people. King had voiced his opposition to the war in Vietnam before, but this time, King's speech largely focused on the problems of the war and the need for social justice. And it was radical. The speech, entitled Beyond Vietnam, A Time to Break Silence, was met with a ton of criticism. But King didn't let up on his anti-war stance. King had long been praised as a bastion of nonviolent protest and social activism, but he was still an enemy in many people's eyes. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover called him the most dangerous man in America. And by the time he gave the Beyond Vietnam speech, King was already falling out of favor with the public. Americans' opinions were mixed on whether U.S. military involvement in Vietnam was a mistake in early 1967. There were a lot of people who still supported the war and who took issue with King's criticism of it. But to King, the Vietnam War was not about saving people from the threat of communism. The U.S. was plagued by militarism, materialism, and racism. Instead of spending loads of money to commit atrocities in an illegitimate war, King argued that American power should be harnessed to the service of peace and human beings, not an inhumane power unleashed against defenseless people. King had first denounced the Vietnam War in March 1965, when he said, Millions of dollars can be spent every day to hold troops in South Vietnam, and our country cannot protect the rights of Negroes in Selma. Throughout 1965 and 1966, King committed to nonviolence anywhere, continued to condemn the war. He had a solid relationship with President Lyndon B. Johnson, who had advanced civil rights legislation. But King was firm in his belief that the civil rights movement was tied to American military aggression abroad. And in Los Angeles in February 1967, he gave a speech called The Casualties of the War in Vietnam. Vincent Harding, a history professor at Spelman College in Atlanta, had written the speech for the Los Angeles Address, and he drafted the speech that King would give at Riverside Church. Wesleyan professor John McGuire also helped draft the speech. And on April 4, 1967, King was accompanied by Amherst College professor Henry Commager, Union Theological Seminary President John Bennett, and Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel at an event sponsored by clergy and laymen concerned about Vietnam. King delivered his Beyond Vietnam speech, claiming his conscience left him no other choice. In the speech, King mentioned his reason for speaking up. And I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. King charged the U.S. with reveling in its wealth while it created a hell for the poor. He suggested a five-point plan for stopping the war in Vietnam. But it was about more than just Vietnam. This war was just one expression of American colonialism. He said that peaceful revolution was now impossible, 
and a radical revolution of values was imperative. Near the end of his speech, King said the following, We still have a choice today, nonviolent coexistence or violent co-annihilation. We must move past indecision to action. We must find new ways to speak for peace in Vietnam and justice throughout the developing world, a world that borders on our doors. If we do not act, we shall surely be dragged down the long, dark, and shameful corridors of time reserved for those who possess power without compassion, might without morality, and strength without sight. The war in Vietnam was a controversial issue, and his speech inspired lots of backlash. Scholar and diplomat Ralph Bunch, as well as the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, or NAACP, accused King of linking unrelated issues. In an April 7th New York Times editorial titled Dr. King's Error, the Times wrote, Linking these hard, complex problems will lead not to solutions, but to deeper confusion. The Washington Post said about King, Many who have listened to him with respect will never again accord him the same confidence. He has diminished his usefulness to his cause, to his country, and to his people. And that is a great tragedy. King stood by his views that the Vietnam War was morally and economically wrong. As a result, his relationship with the Johnson administration soured. The church showed him support, but the mainstream media, other civil rights activists, and politicians did not. King had began professing his anti-war sentiment before the anti-war movement picked up in America. But he continued to give speeches against the Vietnam War, even as the FBI began seeing him as more of a political threat and upped its surveillance and harassment of King. He wasn't worried about Gallup polls measuring his popularity or losing political respect. Exactly one year to the day after King gave this speech, he was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. I just wanted to add something that Vincent Harding said about the criticism that King was getting. He said that it reflected a kind of paternalism. Harding said it was as if his critics were saying the following. Martin Luther King, you have forgotten who you are and who we are. You should be very, very happy that we have allowed you to talk critically about race relations in this country. You should be very happy that we've allowed you to talk about Negro things. But MLK, when it comes to the foreign policy of this country, you are not qualified to speak to these issues. These are our issues. Our white establishment is in charge of such things, and you are absolutely out of your place to enter into this kind of arena. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast that proves history happens every single day. I think that that is abundantly clear right now to all of us that we are living in historically important and challenging times. 
But there are new things that we can talk about every day that happened in history. And hopefully these episodes of This Day in History class can bring a little something new to every day for you. With that said, on with the show. The day was April 4th, 1828. Scottish novelist and historical writer Margaret Oliphant was born. Over the course of her life, Oliphant published nearly 100 novels, more than 50 short stories, and many biographies and articles. Margaret was born in Wallyford, Scotland. Her parents were Margaret and Frances Wilson, and she grew up with two older brothers. The family lived in Glasgow, Scotland for a while before they moved to Liverpool, England in 1838. Though there is no record of Margaret having a formal education, she spent a lot of time reading. Though books, magazines, and newspapers kept her company, she lived a relatively secluded life. Margaret began writing in her teens. In 1849, she published her first novel, Passages in the Life of Mrs. Margaret Maitland. The book was not a huge hit, but it did garner Oliphant some recognition in the British literary world. In 1851, she published a historical novel called Caleb Field, A Tale of the Puritans. From this point on, she consistently published novels. In 1852, Margaret married her cousin, Frances Wilson Oliphant. This made her full name Margaret Oliphant Wilson Oliphant, and she sometimes published anonymously under the initials M-O-W-O. Over the next few years, Oliphant gave birth to several children, though some of them did not live past childhood. She also helped support her brother, Willie, who dealt with alcoholism. He helped Margaret by assisting her in negotiations with publishers. Frances died in 1859 after getting tuberculosis, leaving her to take care of her children and other family members. Margaret was prolific and she credited the amount that she wrote to how many people's lives depended on her success. Margaret contributed to Blackwood's Magazine, a publication popular among Victorian readers for several decades. She published stories, articles, essays, and serialized novels with Blackwood's. She published some of her best-known novels, The Chronicles of Carlingford, throughout the mid-1860s in Blackwoods. The series followed the lives of people in the fictional English town of Carlingford. Though these works boosted her reputation, and she published incessantly until her death, she was criticized by some for producing too much. Tragically, her 11-year-old daughter, Maggie, died in 1864 after getting the stomach flu. And in 1868, her brother Frank went bankrupt, dying a few years later. Margaret was left to raise his children. And in her later years, she turned to writing supernatural fiction, and her writing continued to provide her with financial support. But in the 1890s, her two sons died, so that she had outlived many of the people in her family. At this point, she lost some of her desire to write fiction. She turned to her autobiography, which she had begun writing decades earlier. She planned on the work being published after her death, with the money made from it going to her niece. Oliphant died in 1897. Her autobiography was published two years later. In the book, she noted that beyond needing the money, she wrote to cope with her sorrow. 
The last project she worked on was A History of the Blackwood Publishing House, which was published posthumously. Though she didn't get a ton of recognition for being a literary writer during her lifetime, her work gained renewed interest in the last decades of the 20th century for its observations of Victorian society. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Don't be afraid to give us a shout or a share on social media. We're at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can also send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.